This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Before you mash that fast forward button to move to the beginning of today's episode, I'd like to quickly tell you about some ways you can support the show and everything that I'm doing right now. You can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Again, just go on over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month. Or you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. It's incredibly important with the way iTunes works. So if you have a second, please leave a rating and or review and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you can listen to the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcast, you can check out chasethomaspodcast.com. That is on my previous episode, a link to my newsletter, and all my articles that I've written. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at chase double underscore Thomas. You can like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer, or you can just tell a friend you found this independent sports podcast that they should check out too. Thank you for listening. You're all the best. And I think we've reached the point in this intro where my uncle Darren can play me in. All right, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome to the Chase Thomas podcast. We're recording this early on a Wednesday, a couple days after the NHL draft. John Tavares has reportedly cut his list down to six teams. And Sean Lee of NBC Sports is on the line to talk about all of this. Sean, how are you? Good. How are you, Chase? I'm good. I'm getting a little overwhelmed with all the news coming out and everybody getting traded and the Sharks doing everything and Ilya Kovalchuk coming back. Gary Bettman's in the Hall of Fame now. Martin Brodeur's in. Like, it's uh, it's too much. Yeah, it's it's been a busy uh, couple weeks. You got the, the final and the cup final ending. Then you have the awards and you know, the schedule and the draft. And once the draft is over, then they have this week of the pre-free agency fun with the interview period and obviously Sunday the gates open and the market uh, opens and then uh, we'll see which gems are smart and which gems are, are just going to throw their money around unwisely. Who are you betting on throwing their money around unwisely <laughs> to start off? <laughs> um, I don't know if they're going to throw their money around unwisely, but I, I I think we can probably bet on the Oilers making some sort of dumb trade um, that okay. Peter, Peter Trilley's bag. You know, last year was the Ryan Strome for Jordan Everly trade straight up, the one for one. Then we had the Taylor Hall and Adam Marshall trade a couple of years ago. And obviously, years ago, we remember the Tyler Sagan trade to Dallas. Um, so I think uh, Peter Trilley doing something dumb over the next month, I think pretty close to even odds. Can we get Connor McDavid out of there? How do we do this? Uh, that's a good question. You know, I was I was hoping that second year when they were, had a really good year and they made the playoffs, I was hoping that they would be really bad just so he would enter that final year of his entry-level deal with the question of, hey, maybe he'll actually become an RFA and maybe we'll finally get to see an offer sheet handed out because certainly right. any team would be 
be able to give up all those picks for whatever uh, it would take to sign them. But nope, he resigned, got his nice long-term deal, and and he that deal really makes Chiarelli's work you know job even harder now because uh, he's his cap hit jumps from I think a little under a million dollars a year plus whatever bonuses to now twelve and a half million dollars and. I'm sure Chiarelli was very happy to see that the salary cap ceiling went up by a couple million dollars, but still, between him and Lewis, it's uh, $21 million tied up into two players, two good young players for sure, uh, but when you're trying to surround them with supporting cast, something that was evident last year when uh, Connor was pretty much like LeBron James and, and carrying the Oilers as, as best as he can. Obviously, they both had different outcomes to their seasons, uh, but it was pretty evident that the Oilers really lacked any help for, for Connor. Uh, even, you know, Cam Talbot had a, kind of had a step back year. So this is a, a pretty key offseason. There's still, still some nice pieces there in, in Edmonton, but they're not at the level that we would kind of expect them to be considering that they have one arguably, you know, one of, if not the best player in the league on the roster who's still only 21 years old. I just want to expedite the process of getting him on the New York Rangers because <laughs> that's what's happening in like five years. He's going to be on the Rangers. They're going to pay him a ridiculous amount of money and that's where he's going to go. But it seems like the NHL has the same thing where the NBA, um, most young superstars don't leave their team after the first contract, no matter how much of a dumpster fire it is. Um, they usually get to contract number two, and then they leave. So it's like an eight-year deal, basically. Um, it, it's it's kind of sad that these guys just out of it. It wasn't McDavid's fault. He got drafted to the Oilers. It's not his fault, <laughs> but he stuck there, and he stuck there for a long time. And it's not good for the NHL to have guys like that there. And he like it's similar to Mike Trout in Los Angeles, where he's on a terrible team every year, and it's a crime that he's having the best year of his career, which is still insane. And the Angels are probably not going to make the playoffs again. So just not having your best player or most exciting young player in the playoffs every year, not great for your league. Yeah, but I, I, always, I always come back to this when there's issues like, like you're talking about. All of these things are collectively bargained between the PA and the league. So the, mm-hmm. the whole you're not a USA until you're was it, 26 years old, the players are fine with that. They they were okay with that. They they didn't see that as a, as a hill that they wanted to kind of make a last stand on and, and fight for, you know, get the UFA status a little earlier. So they, they seem okay with it. But look, Connor obviously got paid. Um, it, when you're RFA, uh, you, you don't have that leverage because the team still owns your rights. You could go out and sign an offer sheet somewhere, but your original team can still match that. And, you know, if, if the Oilers continue to slide over the next couple of years and that $12 million cap is still there and there doesn't seem to be a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, do they explore, you know, whoever the next GM is? Because if, that, if that's the case, I can't see Chirilli being there longer if they're still bad over the next two, three years or whatever. It, does the time come? We're going we're gonna to see the time come where it's going to be like, well, should the Oilers trade McDavid? Just, just look at what kind of return they could get for him. All the picks and the prospects and maybe even roster players that can kind of help them with a turnaround and obviously freeing up all that cap space, but we'll see what happens. Rangers are ready. Well, well, this isn't the, this, this isn't the, like the late nineties, early 2000 Rangers pre salary cap where they were giving Bobby uh, an open checkbook and, and, you know, all those guys, Jeff Gordon, it's pretty clear under Jeff Gordon, they're going, um, you know, they're going with youth. Even though uh, Henrik Lundqvist. It looks like they've been, 
yeah, they've been diligent a little bit, but it does feel like a waste of Lundqvist in these last couple of years to go through a long-term rebuild. But haven't they done this before where it's like they they love the idea of it? It's kind of like the Red Wings where it's like you're not – or the Blackhawks where it's like these big market teams that have just such a storied history that are get they, they love the idea of rebuilding. And then they're like, oh, this kind of sucks. We're going to retool instead and just make a bunch of trades and get back in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, that's- Do you think they're actually going to commit to this? No, I think that it's the buzzword is retooling. Because if you say rebuilding, yes. that's like you're trading everybody, you're going with young players, and you're going to suck for two, at least two or three years and go that way. But and they can like, do that. But like the Blackhawks, if they have a healthy Crawford, like we know that they're still going to be pretty good. And the <laughs> Detroit's just kind of in cap hell, so they're similar to Chicago, I guess, in some ways. But um, they're going to retool. And I that buzzword that you're talking about, that's definitely going to be something that all these teams just throw around. Yeah, and I think with the Rangers, as long as you have Henrik Lundqvist there, and I know he said he wants to stay and help play through the pain, just four years left in the deal, you're not going to re- rebuild. You're not going to tear it all down when he's still sort of at the top of his game. Uh, and you also just paid all that money for Kevin Shattenkirk a year ago, and you still have some nice young pieces there that are, are productive, like Zibanejad uh, and Kreider and, and Zuccarello. Um, so I'm, I'm sure they probably didn't want to go – that third year for Kovalchuk, I heard you know I heard he was interested in in maybe New York, and LA wanted you know put that put out that third third uh, third year on the, the deal and it worked. So we'll see what they do um, this summer. Be a team that can spend to the ceiling, and they had got a ton of cap space uh, that they could play with, even though they have a, 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 a so. Uh, I could like I said I said this before. Even after Jeff Gordon kind of waved the white towel in February and said we're going to look towards next year's, you look at their situation. Look at some guys that they're keeping that they kept beyond the trade deadline. I could easily see them being a, a playoff team uh, a year from now. But we'll see what uh, Gordon goes with, what direction he goes with this summer. So we'll see what happens with the Rangers. But right now they are not the most interesting team in New York. No, it's the <laughs> New York Islanders. They brought in Lou. The guy will never go away for life. You have Barry Trotz now. And one of the weirdest things, like, I wish more people cared about hockey because I don't think enough people just appreciate the fact that this dude finally won a Stanley Cup and then just left. Like, he just moved on. He resigned and then went to the Islanders, a situation that I would say is a little bit mercurial and murky at best, depending on what happens with Tavares. But uh, they also don't really have a goalie, which... It's going to be a problem, but we'll see what they do there this summer. But um, what do you make of the Lou and Barry connection in New York and uh, just everything that comes with that? Well, it was pretty clear over the last two years that <clears throat> there there needed to be a different direction in the executive offices. Garth Snow, he had that two-ish, two, three-year run a while back where he was looking like a genius. Like all of his cheap uh, draft pick signings and young signs were paying off. Like the Michael Grabners were, were, were being productive. They were really outperforming their value and their contracts. And then obviously made some weird signings like Cal Clutterbuck. Cases Ezekiel, these long, rich deals, which and and things just kind of and obviously the goalie situation happened and last year happened and there, there needed to be change and and Doug Waite he might be a, a good coach down the road but it was pretty clear in the second half where things started falling off the cliff that he just didn't know how to how to handle things he could, didn't know how to stop the snowball so bringing Lou certainly changes the culture and bringing in a guy who just won a Stanley Cup and was who's been a successful coach in the NHL for over 20 years with two different organizations and Barry Trotz. That's uh, a great start to kind of change things. And certainly uh, that was with an eye towards trying to 
retain John Tavares and showing him, hey, we're on, we're on a different path here. And he's, like you said before, he's meeting with six teams, including the Islanders. And I still, I still deep down think he's going to resign with the Islanders. He just wants to see what's out there because that's his right. Maybe some team is going to give him some crazy, crazy offer or whatever, and, and the Islanders just can't do that. And, and maybe he wants to go that way. But uh, he obviously wants to win a Stanley Cup, but he also wants to win a Stanley Cup with the Islanders. He's very loyal to the team that drafted him. Uh, he said in this entire season he wants to resign there, and I guess I believe I believe he will. And uh, the problem last year was obviously not their offense; they could easily score five goals a game. The problem was, like you mentioned, goaltending and defense. They they would score five, but they'd also allow six or seven in the game, and that really sunk them in, in the second half. So Tavares is obviously the key. Um, I was kind of wondering, you know, if they were going to be in on Philip Grubauer, who ended up getting traded uh, to the Avalanche over, over the weekend. Uh, but yep. we'll see what happens in the going market. The Avalanche cold blooded. Yeah, sure. They, they needed uh, a goalie. <laughs> Joe Sakic, man, he is a cold blooded dude. He let him. I mean, he's actually a really great guy. I forgot who uh, was it. The Hockey News, I want to say, that had this piece on it. But basically, it uh, outlined like they let. Uh, what's the other goalie's name that they let go in, once they made the trade for Grubar, and they told him at the time, "Hey, we're gonna end up we're, like we're taking this guy." Was it Bernier? To not resign you, John yes, Bernier. That's yeah. who it was. Yeah, and now he's a free agent, and like you could see him wind up in like the Carolina Hurricanes or somebody who else needs a goalie, like a good number two, maybe the Blackhawks, because we saw what happened when Crawford goes down. They could use stability there, but um, yeah, it was kind of kind of crazy that he did that, but um, we'll see what happens there. The St- <laughs> so Tavares, it kind of reminds me of Stamkos from 2015, mm-hmm. where. It's just these superstar guys um, have the opportunity to leave their team. But the difference, I guess, is Tampa Bay is actually a good organization. And leaving them would have been a little bit more difficult than just leaving the Islanders, even though they look like they're heading in the right direction now. Uh, it does seem like some of these guys just want to just want to feel wanted. They want to show their team, like, look, look at all the different teams that are dying to bring me in, that would die to have me on their team, and just go through the experience. Because it does feel like if you are a superstar athlete – going through the free agent process is a lot of fun. And just to go and have all these teams salivate over you and go above and beyond to uh, sell their culture, sell their team to you is a fun way to spend a summer. But I'm with you. I think he's going back to the Islanders. Um, the Kings are interesting though, because I mean, they just signed Kovalchuk and uh, we'll see what happens there. Cause he's like 35,000 years old at this point. But um yeah, I'm with you. I think he goes back, and I think it's a Stamco situation. But who is the uh, Toronto for Tavares? Who, which team is going to present to him, and he's going to be like, what the hell was that? That was just really weird because uh, Stamkos apparently was like super turned off by what the Maple Leafs put together for him in 2015 and was like weirded out by it. So who is your pick of the six that is going to do something really weird to Tavares? Um, I don't know. I think if you look at the those six teams, other than the those teams, other than the Islanders, I, I think all are pretty close to being Stanley Cup contenders if they aren't already are like like Tampa. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas if you that add, would not be fair. Yeah, exactly. It'd be like yeah, it'd be like NHL eighteen where you just stat, you know it's like a super team. Um, mm. if, if but like if you add, if you add a Tavares to a team like the Leafs or the Sharks or the Bruins, that would really put them on that next level. And that other team was the Stars. I don't think the Stars are there yet, but certainly having uh, Tavares there would help. They obviously have some other issues down mm-hmm. the down the lineup, and I wonder if you they bring just had in a college people. coach, didn't they? 
Yeah, Jim Montgomery out of uh, out of yeah. uh, Denver. Um, but I wonder if you add Tavares in some place like Dallas, how does that affect their their cap situation going forward? Because next summer we could be talk having this conversation a year from now and talking about Tyler Sagan with, with the Stars, who is uh, scheduled to be uh, a UFA next year. So um, a lot of you know, any team that's going to bring him in, other than I guess maybe like the Sharks, the Sharks finishing opening up cap space left and right uh, for the last few weeks, um, may have to make a move to to kind of fit his deal underneath and, and really maybe go out and add some extra pieces in the summer. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. I'm excited because Tavares is fun to watch. And I kind of hope he stays in New York. I kind of do. But I, I also wish the Rangers were involved in this. That's another thing. I wish they were included. I want to see some pettiness or some craziness there. Um, do you think Ryan O'Reilly gets traded? That seems to be the prevailing. I, I, it seems to be that the, the Sabres are trying to. Um, you know, they're trying to kind of free up some space there, and O'Reilly has that long-term deal. And he's still you know, only 26, 27, so he's not old. Yeah. Still pretty productive. Does have a heavy contract with a, a bunch of years left. Uh, and if they, if they can kind of free him up, free up that cat space, maybe put that towards uh, the blue line, put it towards a goalie, because right now they don't have a goalie. They said Rob Miner's not coming back. Probably not going to be by Chad mm-hmm. Johnson, so they need somebody in that. I don't know if Lance Leasol Mark is the answer for next season. He might be the guy in the future. Uh, but they also have his money. But they also have uh, Matt Molson's money, who is probably going to spend another year in the AHL if he doesn't move somewhere. If they aren't, if they don't find a taker for him on a discount, he's got a heavy contract. So um, it, it's 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 Jason Bottle. He's not doing his job if he doesn't kind of make some calls and, and see if any teams are interested in, in taking a guy like O'Reilly because you have a team like Montreal who's always looking for centers. Yeah, they feel like the right fit. Yeah, it, it seems like there's really there. Score. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you look, you look at Bergman's move the last couple of years and you look at their roster and it, you have Carey Price, 30-year-old Carey Price, 32-year-old Che Weber eating up like $18, $19 million of cap space. They're not any younger. And you look around the rest of the roster, and if you're going to trade Max Pacioretty too, there doesn't seem to be any sort of direction, uh, any sort of vision there as far as what they're going to do. So uh, you know, you make that Domi for for Galchenyuk trade. Galchenyuk seems to be on his way out anyway. Domi, you're you're just bet on him bouncing back after a down year. Uh, we saw the talent he had in his first couple of years, but last year he kind of really really went down um and trade patrick you know who's scoring your goals where, where are you getting your goals from ryan or is not a huge goal scorer he's a good player uh but you, you don't have that guy who could score your 25 30 goals easy um and i don't know where you're going to get him unless you're going to get really aggressive in the market but are, are you going to be able to lure a high price free agent who can score you those goals to a team like montreal who has had a couple of years yeah um, are you concerned at all about Rasmus Dahlin having the uh, body type of me when I was a senior in high school? <laughs> well, that's all 18-year-old kids for the most part, right? He's uh, 18, still growing. Hey, this is the pace and space era, right? Like Everybody wants faster, faster players, and this is the uh, the end result here. Yeah, you don't want that bulky Dustin Bufflin type at 18 for sure. And he's, you look at some of the kids, especially the defensemen that were drafted this year. You know, like Noah Dobson, for example, with the Islanders, he's – He's tall and, and lanky, but give him four years. By the time he, these guys are 22, 23, their, their bodies will be fully matured and obviously be on a uh, an NHL 
uh, training regimen and eating different things and maybe playing a little, little less Fortnite, uh, you know, when they're on the road or on their downtime and, uh, it'll mm. be in the gym a little bit more and then and they'll be, they'll fill up pretty well. So, but you, you look at the videos of, of Darlene over in Sweden and it, it reminds you of just the way Eric Carlson plays, the way he can skate so smoothly he can cut through the, you know, the other team, uh, just, just, just really smooth and just really confident with the puck. So it's, it's going to be exciting to see him develop. And hopefully as he develops, the Sabres will get a little bit better because we don't want to have a, like we just talked about, we don't want to have a Connor McDavid situation several years from now where Darlene's really, really awesome and on a great contract. And, but the Sabres are, are really heading, still heading nowhere. How excited are you for Kovalchuk's first game in New Jersey this season? I'm so I'm so curious the response because you think he would get booed, right? Because like that that retirement oh, yeah. came out of nowhere. But it's an all time dick move, right? To just stay away for five years and then once you're eligible to be a free agent again, you come back. That's how much he did not want to play for the Devils. But he, but he, but that also like he helped lead the, the Devils to the Stanley Cup final that year. But also That's like true. him getting his contract off the books, that long term yeah. contract. If he's still on the Devils, are they? Do they get Taylor Hall? Do they, are, are they in position to draft yeah. Nico Heischer number one? You know, I don't, I don't think the success of this past. But is that how happened. Devils fans are thinking? <laughs> yeah, are they just seeing Kovalchuk and just seeing red? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I would that would bring a sign saying thanks for freeing up that cap space. Appreciate it. And and, yeah. and also remember, don't forget they lost that. Uh, they they lost the draft pick. I think it was. And then magically, because they changed the ownership, they got that draft pick back from the league. So it all worked out. It all came up, you know, red to the Devils and, and red in a good way. For there them. you go. Do you think he moves the needle at all for the Kings though this year? I mean, they were a playoff team last year, but they obviously got swept out of the first round. And it's tough to get a read on where the Kings are going. But do you think Kovalchuk moves the needle for them? Are they moving in the right direction? Uh, I mean, he's old. He's 35, but he was still productive um, in Russia the last five years. Like, what do you think? I still see them as a slow team. Um, okay. If they could get a little bit faster. Slower than the Ducks. Ah, nothing slow. The, the Ducks were slow because they were all <laughs> put together by duct tape and, and you know, bubblegum like MacGyver because they were all hurt. Especially okay, now like, you're like, just hurting me. You're hurting my feelings. <laughs> I can't handle this. Bob Murray talking about this all like, oh, there's going to be all these changes and it's like they just fired an assistant coach. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I see them. I still see them as slow. If they get, I mean, they have obviously good some good players. It'd be good to get a full season out of Jeff Carter because to me, I mean, to me, I think Jeff Carter is one of the most underrated players in the league. Maybe because he's out west, maybe overshadowed by a guy like Kopitar um, and Dowdy. But I don't think you're going to get another great year out of Dustin Brown. He was off the charts. Kopitar, you'd expect to do the same thing like he always does and, and have a great year. The key too, I think, is some of the younger players, the, the guys like the Tanner Pearson, Tyler Toffoli's, um, the Adrian Kempes, the Alex Fiafols, those younger kids coming through, bringing in some speed. Because um, you, you look at the, the way they play against Vegas, and when they got swept, they just they they, they were outskated. They they could not keep up, and that's why I, the 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 move to bring in Dion Smith was very puzzling because. Dion is not exactly the most mobile skater in the NHL, um, but you have a guy like Drew Dowdy back there. You know what you're going to get. So there, there's there's light there. I think uh, so a few changes this summer if they if they can you know add some quicker forwards up there would certainly help. You know you're going to get a, another good year out of Jonathan Quick, um, Jake Muzzin. You know the, the blue lines you know okay pretty well, and then um, 
again, like we just talked about with Tavares and Sagan, this could be the last year of Drew Dowdy. They're eligible to give him an extension as of July 1st. So we'll see if that hangs over their season or if the Dowdy and the Kings get done this summer and they could kind of all relax and uh, play the year out. It'll be interesting to see. So I touched on them a little bit. What do you think Bob Murray is doing in Anaheim? Like the assistant coach making the claims that they want to play faster, but they're kind of screwed because they're older and it's going to be very difficult to move certain guys out of there. And um, I'm concerned, but they were, uh, I, I don't even know what to think about the ducks right now, but um, what do you think Murray's doing this off season? Well, uh, <laughs> I think he's shopping around guys like Corey Perry, just seeing what he can uh, get for him, you know, moving him. Cause yeah. he, look, Kessler's, Kessler, he's beaten up. I mean, even if he comes back 100%, I mean, what is 100% of Ryan Kessler at age 33 right now considering just the way he plays the game, just the way his body's broken in the last couple of years? Hopefully, hopefully we see a, a 100% return for Patrick Eves because that was certainly a big loss last year just really getting that kind of news out of nowhere. Uh, that, that I think it's Gilliam Barr syndrome and it's taken him out for the entire season after he was had a couple great seasons. So you want to see him back. Obviously, the blue line, actually up front, one of my favorite players to watch is Andre Kasha. You know, he's going to get re-signed, so that will be good. Hopefully, he has another another strong season. Uh, a first full year of Troy Terry. So there's, some young, there's some young kids coming through there that can give you some speed that can – Maybe give you that secondary production if the you know to help out the Perrys and Getzlaffs and the Henriques and Ricardo Kells and uh, the Sofabergs. and then the blue line, you know Fowler, Hampus Lindholm, Manson. That's a good. That's you know that's a solid top three there. And then just finding ways to fill up you know the the bottom the the, the three defensemen there to fill out your blue line. The league's getting faster. You want some good skaters who can move the puck up by us in transition and get out of the zone quickly. So uh, it's going to be a, it's gonna be a pretty busy market this summer. And certainly the, with the way Bob Murray was talking over the weekend, you got to expect him to be pretty aggressive on the market and, and trying to kind of, you know, check off each thing on his checklist that he wants to change about this team going through uh, 1819. I'm hoping for good things, but we'll see. Um, I wonder if they'll trade the captain though. I'm not. I'm not certain, but it seems like everybody's on the table. If you're old, you could be out of here. That's the that's the memo Murray has sent out. Yeah, I mean, look, he's, if you're a GM, you're you're not doing your job if you're not at least just exploring the value for some of your players, including Perry and Getzlaff. Just you know, they, you want to improve, and they're not any younger, and they, they've got uh, some heavy contracts with a few more years left on it. So it's worth taking a shot and just calling around and saying, hey, what? what would you give me for this guy and, and exploring that? And if it suits something that you're looking for, then maybe you, uh, you go toward it. So every GM should be doing that, should be doing that with not all of their players, obviously, you know, you know Jim Rutherford's not calling around for Sidney Crosby, but for, for most of your players, guys who you <laughs> think uh, could give you value uh, in, in return in the trade. So what you're saying is they're going to sign Rick Nash to a five-year deal. Of course. <laughs> Okay. You want uh, you want a guy nearing his mid thirties. You want to give him that long term mm-hmm. deal, and, and a guy who uh, will kind of sometimes show up in the playoffs. Sure, that's the perfect duck sweet spot right there. I he's a <laughs> uh, future duck, Rick Nash. I'm excited. <laughs> um, 
what do you make of the young GM in Toronto getting the job and kind of, man, he's what, like 32? He's pretty young. Yeah, um, I think so. And that's the reason Lou's in uh, New York now. But um, what what do you make of him? Do you think uh, it's good news for Toronto? Do you think this is a bold move? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, this isn't just like a guy coming out of nowhere. I mean, Kyle's been in hockey for pretty much his entire professional life. You know, he was running the Sioux Greyhounds before he joined the Leafs, and he's been an assistant GM for the last couple of years now, uh, learning you know, next to Mark Hunter, who was an experienced uh, executive in hockey, in junior hockey and in the NHL, and obviously um, working alongside Lou Lamarillo on a daily basis. And certainly Lou has many, many years of experience, and uh, certainly learned a lot there. And you look at the Leafs, and they're they're there, they're in that, they're just they're waiting to take that next step. And this was a a great season that they had, and they've got a number of uh, decisions to make this summer with some RFA's like uh, like William Nylander and uh, James uh, James like as a UFA too. So they got they have some important decisions to make this summer. But they're a team that's that is has eyes on winning a Stanley Cup. So they're going to be aggressive. They're they're going to want to you know, look at every avenue as far as improving this team and, and finding, you know, guys that can give them value, guys on cheap contracts that can give them value. Guys, look at Austin Matthews, this is the last year of his entry-level deal. Uh, so he's he, he can be re-signed after January 1st. Uh, but you want to get – the whole thing is it's just, like I said, it's value. It, it's guys outperforming their contracts. You want to have uh, – Patrick Marlowe and his six million dollar deal only scoring you at fifteen goals. You want you want him scoring twenty five, thirty, you know, more than what people expected. And I, I think Kyle's a guy who who is very smart at, at, at finding those guys ar- around the league. Um and also obviously the good coach Mike Babcock as far as putting players in the in the best situations for them to perform above expectations. So I think uh I think they're in a very good spot and they've been on the on the rise the last couple of years and um uh, it's going to be interesting to see just how just looking at the competitive division they're in the Atlantic with teams like the Bruins and the Lightning. Uh, just you know, what what kind of an arms race we see this this summer? Were you surprised that Carlson stayed in Washington? Um, no, because he, he he's he always wanted to be there. He wanted to stay there. I was surprised yeah. just how quickly the the Caps were able to free up the space to sign him. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they still have, um, I think a little over $10 million under the cap with, uh, not too many guys to resign. I think the only, the only two big ones that need to resign are Wilson right now and Michael Kempney, if they can, uh, Kempney's a UFA, Wilson's a, an RFA. So those won't eat up a ton of cap space and really can still go shopping this summer, but, uh, good, good on Brian, uh, Brian Conn for really clearing that up. But certainly that was the, you know, the one to bring it back. Him and Kempney, who had a great, a great year together. Kentney really turned things around once he got to Washington and was paired with Carlson. And certainly, who who better to keep serving Ovi uh, those those passes uh, on the power play than, than Carlson's been doing it for years. So uh, good on them. What did you make of the? Uh, this is so sad. The Flames Hurricanes blockbuster. <laughs> Anytime you're you're acquiring the best player in the deal, you're winning the trade. Um, mm. I, I don't know Big why, true. Yeah, I don't know why the flames felt the need to break up one of the best defense pairing in the league with Giordano and Dougie Hamilton. And, and you look at Hamilton's contract, he still has, 
including this year, come out three more years at uh, I think a little over five million, almost just a six million a year. That's 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 a steal. If he was on the open market now, he'd be getting like the Carlson contract, an eight-year, sixty-four million dollar year around there because he's that good and he's still young and very productive. Um, and they also you know, the, the Canes also got Michael Furlan, who had, was a great um, a great kind of secondary scorer there. So. You know, I'm, I'm finding myself hopping on the Hurricanes bandwagon again as we approach next season, and, and I feel like I've been down this road before, and they, they disappoint me. The key for me, and I, the key obviously, which would sunk them last year, was Scott Darling, and we all thought them getting Scott Darling was really going to solve a big problem for them, and obviously it didn't. But I'm willing to give Darling one more season just to, you know, he, it was his first time as the as the true number one on a team. Clearly, did not handle it pretty well. But I'm willing to uh, kind of give him a mulligan and give him a second chance and see how now that he has a year on his belt, you know how he performs. Where and you got the rest of the roster there, that you know, young, productive team, the the Canes, they look like to be on the rise. Why do you think the Hurricanes haven't been able to find a taker for Skinner yet? He's still pretty good. A lot of teams use him. Like, is it? I I wonder if it's just people are waiting for the Tavares sweepstakes to end and then he'll get moved. But um. What do you what do you think about Skinner? I don't know. I mean, he's a different. He's a winger. Tavares is a center, so I don't think he's necessarily waiting for that. If they don't get Tavares, they'll go get Skinner. I think he he's still a productive player. Clearly, and I wonder if there's any concerns with his concussion history. Um, but you look at it. You look at it. There's one year left, so it's you're taking a chance on one deal. And I wonder if the Canes are and Don Waddell. I wonder if maybe they're asking a little bit too much for a guy who. Is who could walk next summer. You could give up some assets yeah. for him. Um, he'll give you 20-ish goals, 50 points or so, but he could, you know, then parlay that into a bigger deal, you know, look for a bigger deal somewhere else next year if, if the team doesn't want to pay up for him. So um, it, a lot of things could just be the asking price, and it could just be some teams maybe want to get to free agency first, see if they can um, – Find uh, uh, find some players without having to give up assets. Or like you know, if they sign, if you sign a player, you just give them money. If you trade for Jeff Skinner, you give them up assets. So some teams may want to wait on that and kind of see how free agency plays out before they try and make a move for for Skinner. If uh, the Canes are willing to uh, to part with him, can we also talk about how fucking insane it is that Don Waddell is back in Carolina <laughs> and there is they're recreating the Atlanta Thrashers? <laughs> how does that happen? It's 2018. What yeah, are doing? I look. Tom Dundon is uh hes a guy who values loyalty, and Don Waddell has been working for the the Canes parent company now for a number of years, and he got rewarded. And, and the other thing that seems to be is he was obviously they didn't have to go out and pay any, someone else to do the job. You know, take over as GM, so he may have may cost them a little bit more money. And you look what happened with Hannafin and, and Lindholm; they both rejected initial contract offers and. We're playing a little bit of hardball for, um, as RFAs, and look what happened. 24, 40 hours later, they, they were shipped to Calgary. So Tom Dundon uh, wants you to be loyal. He wants guys who are going to be there and wants to win there. And if you don't want to be there, well, he, he'll, they'll, they'll find a way for you to, to leave Raleigh. So uh, that's what happened there. And Waddell, uh, it was funny, that, that trade, I was saying to someone over the draft weekend, I'm saying I, I can't remember the last time. Don Wendell won a trade 
and they won that trade for sure. <laughs> so uh, good on them. Maybe all, maybe all those years away from uh, the, the GM's chair for Waddell paid off, so you can you know see how other teams do it. But uh, certainly, I mean, he certainly is running is in a good situation here with the the young up and coming talent that they have there in Carolina. Oh my God! Sell the Hurricanes. Get him out of there. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. I, I can't get over this. Um, how You know what? Speaking of dumpster fires, is the one in Ottawa bigger than the one in Carolina right now? There's nothing. Even, Ottawa is in their own, their own uh, sphere. They are on their own it's level. my favorite sports story of the year, the, uh, the, the wide feud. What, is there a term that we can coin this yet or no? Like, it's over now because one of them got shipped off. But, like, Unbelievable. I don't know. I guess I guess these days you have to add a gate to the end of it, whatever you come up with, because everything right. ends with a gate. Um, but yeah, like it's to me, it's surprising we haven't heard news that Eric Carlson has told the centers that he wants out because I know Pierre Dorian has said, "Hey, July come July first, the first day we can offer Eric an extension, we're going to do it. We're going to be aggressive." But you look at the team. Why would Carlson want to? commit for eight years there when everyone's getting traded they're probably going to trade craig anderson so who knows who their you know their number one's going to be um they just trade mike hoffman uh who knows what else is coming down the pike uh and you mentioned that, mike hoffman was the other guy yeah <laughs> he's the other guy involved in all of this yeah he was the other guy on the other side and, and, and you figure if, if they're going to trade our carlson they're going to try and throw in bobby ryan's seven million dollars deal for the next three years you know put his contract on on in the deal to try and sweeten the pot um for a team to take that so they're just a team that you're not expecting to be good and that's why i think the best thing for brady kachuk the number one pick don't don't sign next year go back to BU and 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 develop there because why there's nothing that brady kachuk would that is nothing that would benefit brady kachuk next year if he plays with the centers, you, you don't want him to be around that team. That, that, that's just tire fire, that mess where guys are jumping shift left and right. You're losing every single night. You're, you're probably going to be, uh, I would say, I would say the centers are going to be in the mix next year for the number one pick, but well, you know what? They got to give their pick that to Colorado now, since they decided to keep it from the next. Oh, so no. They don't even have the number one pick for next year. That's going to go, it's going to go to Colorado. <sighs> who's probably going to have a, a top five pick. So it, things just get even worse and not, there's no, there's no bright side coming for for the centers, and once they trade Carlson, I cannot wait to see what the stands in, in Scotiabank Lake looks like for their first couple of games because it's going to be pretty ugly, especially if the owner Eugene Melnick is still there because the fans uh, are are waiting for the day that he decides to sell the team, which doesn't appear to be anytime soon, unfortunately for them. Oh man, bad bad state of affairs in Canadian hockey right now. The Canucks are going through a rebuild, and they're going to be fun soon, but. Um... They're on the up and up, but it's gonna it's gonna take a little bit. The Senators are a tire fire. The Flames, oh my God, Canadians can't score. It's really just the Leafs right now. And the Jets, don't forget the Jets. And the Jets, oh I, oh my God, they're gonna be so pissed. I always forget about the Jets. <laughs> I, I, it, it's easy to forget about the Jets. I know you had Don Waddell in the thrash on your mind, so it's understandable. Yeah, that's that's all it is. Yeah, Evander Kane and uh, <laughs> well, I mean they're probably gonna lose Natsby, right? Like he's probably not resigning. Uh, maybe he's, it's, I think they got to do a little cap work before to make him fit. Yeah. Uh, but certainly yes, that's me. I mean, he, he obviously worked out pretty well there, uh, playing alongside Patrick Lani and it would certainly be a, a nice mm-hmm. uh, combo to have, but 
Stassi is definitely going to have his suitors, including uh, his hometown, St. Louis, and maybe go back there and, and get a nice long-term deal. I like that because St. Louis kind of fell back to earth this year, and I didn't really like it. I like them being back in the playoffs. They've The Blues being good just feels right to me. I don't know why that is, but them kind of falling back to earth is uh, not something I wanted. So, yeah, let's put them there. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, then, then the Blues are going to do the typical thing where they get people's hopes up and they flame out in the first round of the playoffs. They do this every year. And I think the okay. key for them is um, – <clears throat> I think the key for them is figuring out if Jake Allen is your guy because he had up and down moments last year. Um, but everywhere else in that roster, there's some really nice pieces. Obviously, Pareko, Tarasenko, Steen, Jaden Schwartz, but Peter Angelo. Um, obviously, adding Braden Shen had a great year. Obviously, adding Stassi would go a long way. But I think the key is just figuring out if Jake Allen is that guy because he still has a, a couple more years left. And if he's not that guy, well, you better go out and find someone because that could really you don't want you don't want your goaltending to be to hinder another season. Last question, and then we'll go. Give me your. Well, I guess it's not even a question. It's a uh, let's let's do a prediction. It's free agency season. Nothing really crazy has happened yet. Give me your number one like crazy free agency move or trade that you think has a realistic shot of happening or you want to see happen. What what would it be? Uh, let's go. Let's go. Let's get nuts here. This is why I've been kind of yes. kicking kicking this around for a while. And I think we kind of touched on this before. Eric Carlson and the contract of Bobby Ryan. I haven't, I haven't worked this out on cap for me. If, if the cap works, maybe they need to do some additional moves. But Bobby Ryan, Eric Carlson, uh, and maybe like maybe the, maybe the Ottawa's eat some of that cash from Ryan's contract to Tampa for number one, Tyler Johnson and Alex Kalorn. Oh, and maybe and maybe some uh, some prospects or you know probably some, some prospects too, something like that, something along those lines. Where because if, if the Lightning want to get want to bring in Carlson, like they're really you know they were kind of in on him at the trade deadline, they're gonna have to shed some cap room. And you look at the, the Lightning, and mm-hmm. it seems like Tyler Johnson and Alex Kalorn, those guys have like eight or nine million dollars between them as far as cap hit goes. They would seem to be the ideal guys to go the other way, and they're still young and they could be productive on an Ottawa team that. Needs to, to at least put a team on yeah, somehow, and also they also need to get over the cap floor, uh, over the fifty-eight million dollar cap floor, and so certainly that'll help uh, if they're getting out the contracts of uh, Carlson and Ryan. So what you're saying is the Lightning fans should expect Carlson and Tavares to end up in Tampa Bay this summer. Absolutely, the, 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 uh, mm. there's a the NHL. The Lightning are going to petition the league to have a luxury tax like the NBA, where they could go over the, the salary cap ceiling and just pay the tax on it. Yeah, fuck the hard cap. They're doing it. Isaac yeah. doesn't care. No, he's a, he's he's a he's a wizard when it comes to the cap. So he could certainly, if, if if anyone can make it work on this salary cap, this hard cap, he could definitely do it for sure. All right, Sean Lee. Always a pleasure, sir. We can find you on Twitter at Sean underscore Lay. We can read you at NBCSports.com. Sean, let's talk again soon. Right after the uh, lightning, do everything crazy this summer. That's you got it. Anytime, Celebrate. All right, Anytime, man. All right. On the line right now, our old friend Matt Moore, who is way too big for this podcast of the Action Network. 
Matt, how are you? I'm good, man. Free agency is almost here. I went to the mountains today. I walked around. That's good. The, the beauty of Rocky Mountain National Park. Um, I got away from basketball for a, a few hours in the world and then came back and everything was terrible in the world. But basketball is very exciting. I'm ready for this weekend for free agency to start. We got a lot of big questions. I'm excited for it. Things are good. Did you at least get a vacation in before free agency or is that even out of the question? Well, we, my wife and I decided for years that we were going to take a vacation in between the draft and free agency. We started last year and I went to Moab last year and was like, I'm just going to go away. Nothing's going to happen. It's going to be fine. Well, Chris Paul got traded and <laughs> right. But I wrote something from there and it was actually fine. And so usually we do that. So we're like, we're taking a lot of trips. We live right next to SS park, uh, which is where Rocky mountain national is. So mm-hmm. we're going up there a lot and we're doing like a lot of hiking and we went out to like, I'm just enjoying Colorado. We're having a very Colorado summer. Um, <clears throat> So is that a good thing or a bad thing? An actual like an actual uh, vacation vacation. I'm not getting until late July. Okay. Um, LeBron, hopefully we'll have a decision by then. And uh, Kawhi and Paul Jordan, all the big stuff should be done by then, right? Well, I think LeBron will be done. LeBron should be done by this time. Let's see. It's the 27th, probably next week. He should be done yeah. by this time next week. Um, I don't think people are prepared for that, right? Like, it seems like people think this is just something they can look forward to for the rest of the summer. But I feel like all this is going to happen in, like, an afternoon of Woj tweets. So I was I was surprised. It's not going to happen with Woj tweets. I was surprised that, like, um, I thought that he did it much earlier in 2014. Okay. Why? Um, because I thought in 2014 he did it, like, really soon immediately that's how it felt like and then in actuality it was like the 11th i went back and was like oh it wasn't until the 11th that's crazy um and then i remember why i was confused because i actually moved last time uh, mm. i i spent i was on the computer for like six like 10 straight days just wired to the computer waiting every breathless second waiting for him to get this done and he he hadn't gotten it done we were moving and we were moving just down the street two houses Mm-hmm. And so my wife was like, we need to move the bookshelf. It's the biggest item object in her. House. Oh, I and just moved the bookshelf a couple months ago. It's the worst. It's the thing that she loves the most. She loves it. Yes. Loves more. I'm right there. Yeah. And so she was like, we have to move it. Mm-hmm. I've waited. I want to get it in there because everything in that, in that room is going to go around it. And I was like, but, but she's like, come on. He has it. Your mom right gets now. It. He's not going to do it in the 15 minutes it takes us to move this bookshelf. It's like, all right, you're yeah. right. You're right. So I go and I pick up the bookshelf and we go and I come back. Oh, LeBron's in Cleveland. That's, <laughs> um, so I thought it was, it was it was earlier last time. It was later. But Brian Windhorst has been very adamant that's going to be faster this time. And that makes a lot of sense. So, mm. like, he knows what he wants. He knows what he's going to do. The decision is a lot simpler now. Um, his, is like, it simpler, though? I, I feel like last time was simpler. Like he knew where he was with Miami and that all ended badly. But like the Cleveland stuff, it just felt like a movie. Well, the Andrew Wiggins stuff and being able to flip him for Kevin Love and just it all made sense. Like he had the Lee Jenkins piece. I feel like that was way simpler than now where it's like see, I, I could understand like seven different scenarios for him. See, I think that it wasn't. And that was why they had to have the the whole meeting where Gilbert flew to Florida mm-hmm. meet with them. Um, because I think they're still, and then we we're still seeing it. Like Gilbert didn't fix things in that meeting. It's yeah. just that LeBron was basically like, well, okay, it's enough. Fine. I, I can deal with him. I want to go back badly enough. Um, yeah. This time I think that it's simpler because he doesn't have to consider legacy. His legacy mm-hmm. is set. Like he can do anything at this point. And it's fine. Like all he's doing is adding, add. 
well, it's, if he went to Golden State, I don't think that would be great for his legacy. No, I, the thing is, I think he's, I think he's untouchable because yeah. even if he okay. went, it would just be one chapter of such a long. I mean, think about how long we've been talking about him. Just not as like, not as like a, a formative, important player in the league, but really like the best player in the league. We've been talking about him in that sphere mm-hmm. for eight years, like a solid eight years. We've been talking about him. So even if, if he was to go, which he won't, but even if he was, I think he's bulletproof on that end. So I think this decision is easier for him. It's basically, it seems like at this point, it's do I want to live in L.A. with maybe a better chance at a title? Or do I want to stay in Cleveland where I, I, I love and my family loves and we're comfortable here? Like that's That really is, seems like what it's come down to. So it should be like a faster thing. And then Paul George, I think, probably happens soon after that. Like the dominoes fall pretty quickly. Um Kawhi might take a while. I think Kawhi might be August, September. So then, what do you what do you make of the reports that the like they're getting antsy and like the Lakers want to get him now and there's pressure on them? Like, uh, what would you do the order of operations? Like, if you had to, to if you had to guess who go like what like the just basically what um who goes first, who goes after that? What would be your like as of right now? We're recording this on a Wednesday night. What would you guesstimate right now of um? who's going first and then everything that follows. How would you uh, look? How, how would you look at that? Here's what I think. I think the dominoes are fairly complicated. Like, that ESPN story, the headline, mm-hmm. Lakers are getting antsy. But you know what that real headline of that was? It was that neither LeBron, Paul George, or Kawhi will – like Kawhi can't. He has to get, like, get help. But none of those guys will make the first leap. Like – the, if the Lakers got a firm commitment from Paul George, that helps them get LeBron. If LeBron says, if LeBron leaked, like, yeah, I'm going to the Lakers, which he could do and not have any, like, there wouldn't be tampering problems. It wouldn't be an issue. Like, he won't out of respect for the process, but like, he could do that and it'd be fine. But the minute that he does that, Paul George probably says, oh, okay, that's probably enough for me. Um, but you have to get somebody to take the first step. We're in like a whole prisoner's dilemma game theory system right now. Where mm-hmm. blind actors have to have trust in them. That's one of the things that made 2010 so unique is that you had Wade, Bosch, and LeBron who all had an open line of communication and trust between them because they were of the same age group and social group. Like those guys ran in the same circles. Paul George is significantly longer, younger than LeBron and significantly older than Kawhi. Like there's a gap between these, mm-hmm. between basically not three generations, but three like different eras. So, yeah. That has an impact here, I think, on trying to get a level of trust for one of them to come. Now, if one of the, if LeBron LeBron's just going to do what he's going to do, he's either going to say I'm going to Cleveland or I'm going to, I'm going to L.A. Maybe he he comes out of nowhere with a third choice, which would be awesome. I think it'd be so interesting if he did something different. These choices are all lame to me, but if he did something different, um, then I think things start very quickly. I think in that situation, Paul George probably goes, "Ooh, I don't know if I want to be just like the only dude with Lavar and like Kuzma's distract." I got Russell Westbrook. I'll do a one and one and if the Lakers improve, I can go there next year. Like mm. that's part of it. The poll has all these options in front of him. Kawhi on, yeah. the, on the meanwhile is like he's dealing with an intractable, inscrutable, very tough front office that is not going to get screwed. They are pretty determined not to get screwed. Um, and he needs help to get there. Now, if the Lakers get Kawhi and LeBron, then all of a sudden the Lakers are like, you know what? Screw it. You can have Kuzma and Lonzo <laughs> like yeah. and whatever else. Like, we don't care. Give us Kawhi. You can have the whole slate. And it doesn't matter to us because we have LeBron and Paul George. It's like the opposite of Danny Ainge and the Celtics. <laughs> exactly. 
right? And that could wind up hurting them, right? If LeBron says, like, well, I'll go there, but I'm only going to do a two-year deal. And Paul says, well, I'll go there, but I'm only going to do a two-year deal. Um, mm-hmm. If that happens and the Lakers wind up giving, like, 2021 and 2022 first-rounders, like, Brooklyn Nets territory could happen down the line. But it doesn't matter because at that point you're still contending for a title. Um, yeah. Much more so than the Nets deal with, with Garnett and Pierce at their age. So there's all these reasons for them to do it. But my point here is just that there's a complicated web of all these things going on and they're all wrapped together. And I think if Paul George makes his decision, it's just like, you know what, screw it. I just want to come home. I'm willing to deal with whatever. Like if they get LeBron, great. If I'm stuck with having to deal with LeVar, fine. I'm in LA. I'm a Lakers star. That's what I want to be. Then, then LeBron's probably looking at like, okay, I can win with that dude. I can win with that dude way more than I can win with anything I got here. Magic obviously was able to convince Paul. That's a sign to me that he can do this. Okay, I'm in. Like all of these things are connected to each other, which is what is going to make the process really fascinating. And I bet it's stressful as hell in that Lakers front office. No matter how many times Magic Johnson goes into full on, I'm not mad. I find it, I find it funny, honestly, mode with <laughs> on him. Yeah, you know, he's the dog in the house fire. Yeah, Blink is probably sweating bullets right now because this is a big friggin' deal for both of their legacies. Well, they they didn't fan the fires, <laughs> fan the flames. Is it fan the flames? Yeah, they didn't fan the flames with like Magic saying, "I'll be out of here next year if we don't land anybody." He just put put it on himself to ensure that he was going to get somebody. Which I guess, if you're a Laker fan, you feel good about that that he's that confident, or he's putting his basically his job on the line. Uh, but like other people have talked about, uh, other uh, Jim Bus did the same kind of thing a couple of years ago, and they ended up with Lou Alding and Tim Famosko, <laughs> but. Um, two things on the Oklahoma City and the Cleveland stuff. First, I selfishly want Paul George away from Russell Westbrook because I enjoy watching Paul George be the number one option on a pretty good team, or at least go to a team like he would just be more fun next to LeBron than he would be next to Russell Westbrook. And like 50% of his shots were threes this year. And he was just, I don't like him being a second fiddle, especially to a guy that like, I just think he's better than, and it. You don't think Paul George is better than Russell Westbrook right now? Um, this is a very complicated question because it is. Th- there's like, all right, there. Better is a really weird way to talk about when talking. That's true. And no, it, it's just it, it doesn't seem like that though. And people will say that I'm overthinking it. Like, no, they're just better. It's like, look, <laughs> these guys are all at such an elite level. We're splitting ridiculously mm-hmm. thin hairs, and part of it is. Westbrook handles. This is why coaches respect Westbrook so much. He handles a workload that nobody else can. Like, mm-hmm. nobody handles his workload. And that's really important. And you can say, well, does it play defense? Okay, fine. <laughs> well, Harden, I think, has maintained a similar what, level of, like, but usage. Harden go just... 90 miles an hour every single second on offense. The minute one gets that ball, he's a bullet. Like, yeah. that's the difference. And and this stuff doesn't – I'm not even saying that that's better. Because I, I will completely listen to an argument that says it's not – that's like you should conserve some energy. Like Steph Curry, I think, is way better because Steph Curry just like hustles an appropriate amount, sets good screens, and creates good wide open looks. Like that's way more effective and impactful. Paul George, yeah, I- I've said this way. Paul George is a way more impactful player than Russell Westbrook right now. Like that's mm-hmm. reality is because of, of everything he does um, on defense and how he fits into every hole. But that's last part's important. Paul, you can put him around anything, and he's so good because of specifically the fact that like he doesn't have to be. He doesn't have to be the number one option. I think when you put him as a number one option, you're limiting what he's capable of. Because when you're using I mean, think of it this way. All right, coming off of screens, he was 71st percentile last year. He shot 54.4% coming off of screens last year. That was a career high. Most of his numbers on spot ups coming off of screens, that off-ball action where he's tremendous, were career highs. He was tip, yeah. he was tip of the spear. He's way better as tip of the spear 
than he is at create the entire mechanism. He is not an independent weapon. Like he is great as the consequence of whatever the primary creator does. Now, would he be better with LeBron? I think that that's probably the case because LeBron is the best player that we've maybe ever seen in terms of making teammates better. Like mm-hmm. passing is um, is unbelievable. Like honestly, if you put Paul George with the Rockets, that's where I'm really like, holy shit! Like that's insane. Yeah. Like if he was on the Rockets with Chris Paul and James Harden with their passes coming off of screens from Clint Capella, good night. Like just good night. But that's not going to happen. So the choice between Westbrook and LeBron, I think, is tough. The other problem is. If you want Paul to be kind of like his guy, your only real option is for him to go to L.A. And the problem then is then you're not going to enjoy it as much because if if LeBron doesn't come, in order for him to be the guy, LeBron has to not come. And so if LeBron doesn't come, then you're not going to get to see him be great as a number one option because teams are going to quadruple team him and be like, Lonzo, you can shoot as much as you'd like. You may shoot all day. Kyle Kuzma, no problem. You guys can shoot as much as you want. We are throwing two defenders on ball every time they pick and roll at Paul George and it limits his effectiveness versus and you could say like well Lonzo will be the one that's passing to him and creating and I get that and that's definitely something that might work especially if they like re-sign Randall but there's still mm-hmm. a huge gap for uh, Ball, Kuzma, Randall in terms of their basketball knowledge base not IQ but their knowledge base what they know about the game how to operate how to make things slow down how to counter things these are things that take guys six seven years in the league to learn Paul George knows them those guys do not. And no matter how much you love ba- Lonzo's high basketball IQ, he's not going to pick that up until probably year four, year five. Most point guards will tell you it takes five years to learn how to do that in the National Basketball Association. So, like, I hear what you're saying. But for me, in in Oklahoma City, he's got a guy in, in Steven Adams who sets devastating screens to free him every time. And he has Westbrook, who is always hunting assists and will get him the ball consistently. Yeah, that's fair. The Cleveland thing, though, is also something that I think is interesting, and I think it's an, an, it's just not something that's been talked about enough, I don't think, is that I'm genuinely interested in seeing which Eastern Conference team eventually beats LeBron and stops him from getting to the NBA Finals. That's more intriguing to me because if he goes to LA, I still don't think they're getting by the Warriors. Like any of the Western Conference teams, I just I also don't want all the stars in the West. I don't want Kawhi going West, LeBron, and Paul George. Right. Like all, I, I don't want that. Right. It, I would rather him stay in the East and I would rather these Eastern conference teams just lose their minds trying to figure out a way to knock out LeBron James before he gets to the NBA finals. That is a more interesting narrative to me than him in LA or on Houston or whoever. Like I would much rather have him like we, I don't think any of us like the fact that we had Houston golden state and then had to go to Cleveland for that sad four game sweep. Like the rocket series was way more fun. It was more enjoyable. Like everybody already talked about, like it just being the real NBA finals and all that kind of stuff, whatever. But I don't want more of that. It's not like I want to see more of this, like oversaturated Western conference star market. And then the Eastern conference just be left with like Joel and beat and Ben Simmons. And it won't even feel like that. I don't know. I mean, I obviously I think Sixers Celtics would be a really fun Eastern conference finals in a year or two. And they'll be really heated and crazy and whatever. But I don't know. I'd rather LeBron stay in Cleveland and them have to continue to figure this stuff out and find a way to put the right pieces around him this summer and what they do with Kevin Love and Colin Sexton and all these guys. Like I would rather LeBron stay in Cleveland and these Eastern Conference teams try to figure out a way to beat him. That's more interesting to me. Well, I guess here's the thing is that we have a pretty good – it's like I would rather see them try and figure out a way to beat him. That's only interesting if you think they can do it. And I think we have pretty good evidence that they can. Like it's only been like eight years. It's They're eight almost years. there. So, um I, I think I think part of this is too um think about how great 
Well, one, I think if LeBron goes west, I would bet you that the league strong arms the Eastern Conference owners into um, reformatting the playoffs to where it goes just non-conference. And then we have some really interesting matchups because if your top, you know, if your second round is Warriors, Lakers with Paul George and, and Kawhi, say, um, or LeBron and Paul George, let's say there's those two. Um, and then, you know, uh, Warriors, Rockets, Lakers, and then you've got Celtics, Sixers, and a, a, a third mystery team that gets into that conversation. Uh, mm-hmm. Say Giannis with an actual coach. Like, let's say that, that they put the, the right pieces around him. Um, that all of a sudden becomes really interesting. Uh, the other thing I, I think I get to is just that um, I have a lot of love for the people of Cleveland as much as they have yelled at me through the years. Just like that's a hard luck city in in the center of the country, kind of um, Eastern Central, and it's a blue collar town. And they had so many things go wrong for them. And I love that they won a title. I think it's amazing, and their fans are so great. Uh, and yet, look, when LeBron left, they did not run that franchise right. As much as they try and like, revise this and no, Kawhi and, and Tristan were on the like that team was a wreck. Tristan looked like nothing. Kawhi looked like not quite. Kyrie looked like. He just he just looked like a point guard that was hurt all the time that shot a lot. He did not mm-hmm. look like a guy that could be a top player in the league. He just did not. And LeBron, I think, added a lot to his game. Maybe he learned a lot in those times of playing on meaningful situations and what it was going to take. Um, yeah. But in general, like I don't have any sort of reason to believe that Cleveland can put together a team that will keep LeBron at a serious level of contention because that. Let's be honest, they made the finals and still were not a serious contender. Like that's an important note here. They made the finals and still were not serious contenders. So if the idea is, well, yeah. if you take him off, the East is just going to be worse. The East is already bad. So it's like, I don't really care if they get worse because I'd rather LeBron be on something that's actually competitive. And I want to give the teams in the East an opportunity too. I think that, that ownership in the East will probably take a different stance if they're like, LeBron's gone? Well, hey, like, okay, the Celtics are really good, but I mean – well, I was going to say, wouldn't the opposite be true where if like LeBron goes West and the East is just a barren wasteland, like every Eastern conference owner, none of them are going to be like, yeah, let's reformat the NBA. Like, no, they're like, oh, we have a real chance at the NBA finals, even with an average team. Like, oh yeah, yeah. let's do this every single time. Well, here's the thing. As much as that sounds great. Um, the only thing that NBA owners care about way more than the opportunity to win an NBA title is money. Yeah. So if the league is able to make the case conclusively, this is going to pad your pockets more, all that competitive juice is going to start flowing in one direction. Um, That's true. The other thing is uh, you also look. So you're saying owners, especially sports owners, really care about the bottom line and making money. Is that what we're getting to here? Yeah. We're in this shocking turn of events. Mm-hmm. People- Billionaires care about money. Okay. Well, not only, not only that, but like in a shocking turn of events, like people care about money. Like anyone cares true. about money. Like, don't get me wrong. Billionaires act way more in pursuit of the billions of further billions that they already have. Like, the more money you have, the more you want it, which I think is a weird idea. Um, mm-hmm. But and it's a weird value that I don't personally share. Like I make more money now than I did when I was 25, but I'm also like, I'm good. Like I don't, I don't, I, I honestly don't want to be, be paid anymore because I'm dead serious. Like if you pay me anymore, I'm going to start to feel really nervous about my job security because I'm overpaid. So it's like, I don't understand why, why billionaires are just constantly like, no, I must have more. It's like, what's that going to do you? What, what difference is that really going to make for you? But anyway, that's another podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's another podcast, so, But anyway, I think that um, what we really start getting to here is uh, I think there's a chance that, that they do go to the, the, the reformat. And even if they don't, 
Um, I just think that there's somebody will fill the gaps. I know that the idea is that it won't, but we do have stars. We have Giannis, we have Embiid Simmons, we have the Celtics. Um, and then you have to look at a situation. Amari Spellman. Uh, right. Um, mm-hmm. You've also got, I, I think one of the, the young guys will probably erupt and be surprising. Like one of the young rookies, either from last year's class or this year's class or next year's class. Boston Celtics fans are losing their minds right now. Exactly. We'll be better <laughs> than um, we expect. Like somebody will, will fill in the gap. But um, even if they don't, I just continue to believe that LeBron going somewhere new, I think, would be the best case for anyone. Like, I honestly, I've said this before, I wish he would just done the wheel. Like, he should just have another TV special that runs on under like a, a web special that runs on un, uninterrupted and it's just him and everybody every team that wants in they all say that like if you want him you have to put in a bid and, like the only teams that would say like no nah, we're good are like the warriors and the celtics um and so he's got this entire wheel and he, he can take out like five teams he could be like i'm not going to milwaukee i'm not going to orlando i'm not going to new jersey or brooklyn um you know he whatever five teams he wants to choose he can choose Okay. Uh, like Oklahoma City, I want to go. Okay, I want to go Oklahoma. They're out, and then like he would just spin a wheel. Like that would be the most interesting result to me because there are all these really interesting teams. Like him in Charlotte, fascinating. No, it's not. Okay, now you've lost. No, me. I don't want him in Charlotte. No. Get get look get hard pass. Look get him. Kemba Walker, a great screener, and Cody Zeller, who's able to actually hit oh shots. Yeah. Michael Jordan should not be rewarded that with team, LeBron James. Hey, what? No. That team hard pass. That team with LeBron is like what seven games better than the Cavs? you know i made this case it's interesting you say that because when i've written about the hornets it's like that roster is built for a superstar like it it would look so good yeah. surrounding lebron like yeah. everybody on that team makes perfect sense if you play him yeah. next to an all-time talent but without him it's just a hodgepodge of overpraised yeah. guys that don't work but the thing is the the problem with the, with the hornets is they look way worse than they are yeah, like because they were like what top fifteen in offensive and defense, yeah. defensive efficiency this year. I think they were. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they were one. They were one in fourteen in games decided by three points or less in the last two seasons. Not great. Like, but here's the thing: not only is that not great, but it's like that's such a statistical anomaly in that even if, like let's say that you had the chokiest choke hearts of all chokes that could choke. Mm-hmm. Okay, you still would somehow like trip and stumble your way into going four and ten so what you're saying is kimba walker is an all-time choke artist right that's the only alternative that you can come to either yeah. either the charlotte hornets collectively like all of them together each individually are the largest collection of chokers that we've ever seen in the history of professional sports right outside of the warriors blowing a 3-1 lead or oh god or Something really random happened. Um, or let's say that like he spun the wheel and he went to, oh, I don't know, Denver, where I happen to live just by chance. Like, but he's blocked by Michael Porter Jr. there now. So I don't right, know how that would exactly. work. <laughs> you have, have to earn a spot, you know, going into camp. <laughs> yeah, Will Barton's there. I don't want to see him in I don't want to see him in like Sacramento. I don't want to see him in like oh, God. in Orlando. I don't actually Sacramento would be fun. Yeah. Like what if LeBron was the guy to turn around? Like what if he couldn't even get them in the playoffs? Right. Then you cancel the franchise, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> like this is done we got lebron and we still couldn't make the playoffs or, this is this is over here's a crazy one what if he what if he what if portland gets him like Par- portland's another team where it's like if they had an yeah. elite wing yeah i, I mean it's just they are sort of like it would be great like cj mccollum and lillard playing off an elite uh three and d wing oh yeah that would be great but um yeah not gonna happen um it's interesting we haven't talked about miami at all i 
this will always be like, I don't know if this is a, a, a strong take here. I enjoyed Miami LeBron more than any other incarnation of him. Like he was just, I enjoyed that edge. I miss that kind of LeBron. I miss the showboating. I miss just, I don't know. I really miss the arguments about the heat. Is that weird? They were, they were a lot more fun to experience in my opinion than the Warriors. And then, yeah, I mean, I would agree. Okay. I, I, we're on the same page. Yeah. I mean that not just from like, I'm known as like the Warriors hater, but I, I don't just mean that from the dominance level. Um, it's that they were vulnerable. And so that made them interesting. It was yep. like, it was like, can you beat Miami? Yeah. Like you can beat Miami. If you put the right team together, you can beat Miami. Like the Celtics took, had a chance to eliminate them at home in game six in 2012. And the Spurs had the opportunity to um, beat them in game six in 2013. And the Spurs walloped them in 2004. Like that was a beatable team that was flawed and complicated. And they were Hollywood as hell, as Joe Kim Noah said. And, um, you know, they were like LeBron's reinvention of his identity in 2012, coming back with the whole his his incredibly talented publicist that he hired in the summer of 2011, reshifting the narrative around just a kid from Akron. And then you had like Wade transitioning into a new part in his career and Bosch emerging is like, wow, he's actually really good and important versus like getting clowned on in 2011. Like they were extremely interesting and they were this fast matchup for everybody and if he that was if that team was still around if he stays in let's say he stays in miami and um be as a result like the original like let's just say that the, the butterfly effect happens and whatever it is that, that happened in in chris boss's genetic code to create this condition which he did not have and then had um it probably happens anyway let's say it doesn't if you had this Heat team versus the Warriors team, like that's a fascinating, amazing matchup. The skirmish defense with younger guys around him as they would have retooled versus yeah. the Warriors running gun. It would have been amazing basketball. The Heat were phenomenally good for the NBA um, and were a really interesting story. And I, I will maintain as much as this year may have been LeBron's best offensive year. If you ask me what LeBron's best seasons are. I rank them 2012-1, 2013-2. Those are the two best seasons, in my opinion, in LeBron James's. Oh, I'm here for this. Yeah. I felt like, and it was just a change, and it was, like, cool to see him develop and become, like, he just seemed like a different person, and it was just the showbudding, the win streak, everything was just, like, musty. I remember, like, I, I'm a lifelong NBA guy, but, like, that was just more captivating to me than any other super team of like the last like five years. Like I loved watching them play and I loved just never knowing, like you said, if they had it that night and they were just, they were thin on the margins and it was just, it was fun. It's how a super team should be where it's like, they're not so good that they're unbeatable like the Warriors, but they are like still the favorites and it's fun when they come to your city and it just, maybe it's just because I like a good villain and they were the best villain. Uh, Well, part of the, part of the gap too is, when the Warriors are losing to Charlotte or Sacramento or whoever, like, you know, it's just like, oh, they don't care. Like, you just yeah. watch them and be like, they are half-assing everything. And when the Heat, during that win streak, the Heat would be down, like, double digits at halftime. And it was just like, this is hard. We are not a complete roster. Our depth isn't great. Like, everything is, like, we have to try or we lose. And then they would put it together and go on those runs and just blow past teams. Which is what the Warriors do too, though. Like their third quarter stuff is like been going on for like, what, like two years now. Baxter Holmes had that big piece but on ESPN about it all. It doesn't this. feel desperate. It just feels like, yeah. oh, okay, it's time to like, oh, the third. Do you want to like beat them? Yeah, let's like mm-hmm. beat them and we can go. Wow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can we sit now? Cool. Like that's 
it's just I, I mean it was always a slog for Miami. I mean look when 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 the Warriors are playing to their absolute best ability, they are a phenomenally better team than Miami ever was. Um as and I think that Miami had truly great teams. I asked this question in preseason and it's something for you to, to kinda of answer off the top of your head, like why is it LeBron's been on so few great teams? This is something I can't figure out. Like he's been like fifteen years and I can count I would say that he has categorically only been on two truly great teams. Off the top of my head, it would be that he has too much power. Yeah. I think he's one of those guys where he's used his leverage and it paid off. Like, I think that's part of the reason we're back to Cleveland is Dan Gilbert has stayed out of the way and let him run things and do his own stuff. And like, uh, we're getting Kevin Love and Andrew Wiggins is bye-bye and just everything else. Like, I think he is surrounding himself with, enough people that he thinks can win a title. It's kind of like the Doc Rivers thing where it's like he's his own worst enemy sometimes with um, just how he's looked at um, constructing his team on a year-to-year basis and he doesn't value the same kind of stuff that a, a good GM would. And it's not like an indictment on him or anything. Like any other superstar in his position would do the exact same thing. And uh, I think it's one of those where he had a combination of bad GMs early on in Cleveland and then he just... I don't think he it, I really do think he just had too much say in the personnel and the coaching and everything else. I, I think that's probably the best answer. I don't you, can right how you can say that after the person that he personally vouched for and got a new contract when he joined his uh, agency and J.R. Smith literally did not know the score of an NBA. <laughs> yeah, it seems like that was not a great investment. Oh, and time. and shot one of the worst percentages you're ever going to see for a player in his position. And do you remember when he saw Timothy Mozgov in the locker room or whatever, and he was like, "Oh, that guy's big. We need him." And then he was he was okay for one run, and then just yeah, like I, I don't even know that like Mozzie, like it, it's more he he does like he chooses weird dudes to be like yeah, and that was one of the things that was always weird is like love. Um, Love, I think, had to earn his way in. Like, it's mm-hmm. one of the things I think it was going to be really weird if LeBron leaves Cleveland is, like, I don't think LeBron was ever was sold on Kevin initially. And I don't think he was sold on him. Like, that's where all the fit-in, fit-out stuff came from. And I don't think he was really, like, he came to him and, and they had the poolside talk. And I still think they were kind of like, all right, we can make this work. Like, we don't have any better options than each other. Um, but it, I always I always think about how in 2016, the first person he hugged was Love. Like, but that was the dude that he was, like, hugging. And it was like he was there, but there was such a real moment of emotion between those two with Love's injury and everything else. Um, but I think Love had kind of had to work his way in. Like Iman Shumpert should have been way better, but part of it is like Shumpert was never really like embraced or encouraged by LeBron. Like LeBron didn't do a lot to make Iman better the same way that he constantly, constantly, constantly feeds JR. And Shumpert is a way better defender and could have been really useful for them in a lot of different contexts, but he was never in. Like Iman was just like never in on that circle. And, yeah. and that was always weird to me. Like Tristan, he had always had a relationship with. So I got that. Like he's known Tristan like forever. Tristan been coming to his basketball camp. Like he and Tristan have had a relationship. But some of the dudes that he just like chooses to ride with, it's crazy to me that he just continues to be like, no matter. And this is the thing is, is I really, I always wonder about the perception, right? Is because you can only come to one of two conclusions, either LeBron, who's obviously smarter basketball than any I will ever be ever, everything in every conceivable way. But either that guy um, is not smarter than me and I am smarter than him or there's something about being a player and being in the minutia, being in the trees that makes you impossible to see the forest. Because like I can't just sit there and say or say like I'm just wrong 
And like, no, no, J.R. Smith really was useful this year. Like, no, J.R. Smith was a garbage fire. And he has always been problematic except for one run in 2016, which he will always be loved by Cavs fans for. I get that. But like, there was nothing surprising about, about J.R. essentially losing them the finals. Well, yeah, yeah that's too far. About J.R. opening the door that was always going to be opened by the sheer hurricane force wind that was facing that house. But like, J.R. opened the door and just was like, come on in, hurricane. Um, yeah. But it's not surprising that happened. So it's weird to me that, and like Dwight Howard, he had all sorts of preferences for weird guys that he wanted. Like the magic had trouble with that where they had to make sure they were getting guys. Like I just find that, that superstars tend to be really unreliable evaluators of talent from at least a perspective of like the common fan. Like you're talking about media and their perception or stat heads or whatever, but I'm just talking like common stuff, like very basic yeah. common stuff. Like guys will always cape for DeMar DeRozan and Carmelo Anthony because players have a natural predilection towards guys that get buckets. Yeah. But like, I bet you a lot of NBA players think Michael Beasley's a really good player that's just been misused his whole career. Right. And so like, are they right? Like, are, are they really right? Is there really just a problem with like every coach is unable to find him? Or yeah. is it that there's something with superstars and players where they're where because you're so close to the game, um, you're unable to see. I think about this a lot with Avery Bradley too, because remember how, how pissed CJ McCollum got that Avery Bradley didn't get first team All NBA vote or All D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I get it. I get it because if Avery Bradley's guarding you, you're like this guy's he, he's so tough. Like this guy. And then you look at the numbers and you're like. Well, yeah, something's off here. There's a disconnect between the eye test and the numbers. And now we're not just talking like defensive rating because everybody's like, well, that's about all the teammates. Okay. You look at the individual performances of guys versus Avery Bradley and individual guys did work against Avery Bradley. Like there's just a point where no matter how good you are, you're not impactful. And that I think is the difference between what players recognize and what we recognize is Mm -hmm. there's what LeBron feels is, is, eventful like he's able to see like this guy can make buckets this guy can do this this guy does this and then there's like the rest of us that are sitting ten thousand feet away being like yeah but it doesn't matter it doesn't mm-hmm. matter jr smith is able to hit a three-pointer and make cool celebration signs like he's a bonehead that doesn't actually shield that well like that's just who he is so i i think it's really complicated but it's an interesting question i continue to struggle with why it is that he hasn't been on better teams because you would think that somewhere along the line, he would have happened into a situation where somebody had enough power to put a good, or even just to work around him. Right. And like, they put great teams, they put really close to great teams around him. Just not great teams. I will know. However, most people disagree with me and they think that 2000, like even Zach Lowe, he feels that both the 2016 and 2017 Cavs were great teams. I don't agree, but that's what he thinks. Yeah. Um, I would agree. It's a complicated question. And I'm, and maybe we'll see it down the run with this uh, stretch run. Maybe he'll uh, finally find himself in a situation where he'll be around more historically great teams down the stretch because this past year was not great for the Rolodex, I would say. Um, so do you want to do a lightning round of questions? Because I do have some major questions, but I want to get your quick. You gave me an off the top question. Let me do a couple to you. Is that OK? Yeah. All right. Ready? What is LeBron doing Friday? Is he opting in or opting out? Opting out. OK. So that's bad news for a, a lot of teams in the NBA. Um, especially the Houston Rockets. Um, but uh, good news for Philadelphia, Los Angeles, and Cleveland fans, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but Cleveland fans, I feel like it's good either way, no matter what. But um, are the Spurs being smart about Kawhi Leonard right now? <laughs> I know that's a complicated one. Yeah. Let me think about it for a second. Smart's a, a, I got to define smart in my head first. Uh. 
are they being prudent? Are they handling this in a logical, thoughtful? Yes. Is this the way you would go about it? Their logical approaches sound, I think part of that is because the Lakers' assets aren't nearly as good as everyone makes them out to be. Now, they're good, and they could be great. They could be way better right now. But you have to go off what you know right now. Um, And I'm not talking about, like, what player Lonzo is now. It's like, okay, if Lonzo becomes the absolute best that he can be, he's Jason Kidd only bigger. And that's awesome. And they don't want LeVar Ball anywhere around this. Right. That's a whole – that's a complication. And then, like, even Jason Kidd really awesome. Like, is that – does that – is, is that what you want long term? And like, is Kyle? No. Like, there's all these things. Like, if you get Brandon Ingram, like, is he? Like, they don't have anybody. Like, if this was, if the Lakers had Carl Anthony Towns, and we're like, we'll give you Towns for Kawhi. All right, yeah. Like, now we're talking. Now you probably need to be getting on the phone and being like, this is a chance. Uh, this is why Philadelphia is still the best deal for them. If they make a deal with Philly, then I think this is going to be okay for them. Yeah, but the problem is, like, I, I continue to say this, which is, the Spurs can only make a deal for somebody that LeBron that, that Kawhi wants to go to, and the reason is, yeah, Kawhi will poison the well. Like more specifically, yep. his people. We've seen this over and over again. With like, superstars. If it's if it's they get if they get in conversations with, um, you know, Philadelphia or somewhere else that he doesn't want to go, immediately, they're going to make it known through the press or just to them personally. They're going to say, "We will not resign with you under any circumstances." There is zero percent Kawhi Leonard will be on your team because you'll be so offended that you traded for us after we asked you not to. We will not consider you. In it won't be a Paul George situation. Yeah. In Oklahoma State. And then all of a sudden you're like, uh, and so you can't give up the kind of assets the Spurs need. So I think the Spurs wait. They try and get, they try and get the Lakers desperate, which appears that is working. Uh, you evaluate it and you see if somebody gets it. The other thing that people lose track of is there are times when a, when a GM is under pressure and is like, screw it. I'm going to lose my job anyway. I can get approval to make this trade because he wants to get Kawhi. Let's make a one year run at it. Like, GMs will get desperate enough to keep their jobs to do that. And so you wait and you see if a better offer arises. I think if we get into training camp, then the Spurs are screwed up. The Spurs are doing the good thing, the right thing now, but they mm-hmm. have a timeline. They have if this draws out to the trade deadline, which I've heard is insane to me. It won't. I, I it will Kawhi Leonard, in my opinion, will not be on the San Antonio Spurs um on October first. Okay. I like it. Bold take. Um who is your biggest surprise player that we're all going to be like, wow, they they made moves in free agency. This is this is so unlike this team. Who is that team for you this, this summer? Okay, can I give two options? Yes. Okay, my first option is Oklahoma City. Okay. Um, people tend to think that they're stuck and they're screwed and they're cap-strapped and there's nothing they can do. Uh, Sam Pressey has proven over and over and over again that he will take lemons and turn them into lemonade, and then somehow the lemonade will turn rotten and it will go... <laughs> And then he will have mildew water. And then he'll turn mildew water back into lemons again, and then he'll make lemonade again. Um, so if, if George leaves, I think he still is able to do a move. I think if Paul George stays, he's still going to find a way to improve the roster. Presley has proven to me over and over and over again that that guy is really good at identifying target areas, staying under the radar, and getting deals done. So I think he's going to be able to make something happen to improve the roster. Uh, my other team, I will say, um, I, I got to tell you, I, I think – the Chicago Bulls might do something. I, I just, Ooh, okay. I feel like the Bulls are in a position where they're going to think more highly of their core than they do, than they probably should. Um, so they have a lot of options here. I think Wendell Carter opens up some opportunities for them to make some moves. So they've they've got way too many guards, and they've got way and they've got a little heavy on the on the center side. So they have some options to make some moves. So I think Chicago will at least be busy, even if they don't make splashy moves. Okay, I like it. Um, my pick, Orlando. Hmm, interesting. I think they got Mo Bamba for a reason. I think they love him, and I think that's genuine. 
and he's someone that he's going to work really well with Steve Clifford. And this is a whole new group. I really don't think that they have any plans to bring back Hazonia. They don't have a point guard right now. They're just going to make... Evan Fournier is a really good player on a really good contract right now, and he would help a lot of good contenders. Like I feel like they can navigate a lot of complicated waters, and I think it's going to be the first big test in the post-Rob Hennigan era for them, where it's like, I just don't believe they're going into next year with Bamba, Vucevic, Bayambo, Aaron Gordon, and just this plethora of bigs who don't fit together. I, I don't think that's what's going to happen. So I think they're going to be active in some way. They're going to do something. Like My dream scenario, are you ready? Yes. They package all. They package Aaron Gordon and Evan Fournier into a deal for Andrew Wiggins. Ooh, ooh, I like that. That's good. That's good. I like that idea. That's that's one of the better ones I've heard. That's an that's an excellent construction. Like Wiggins, there is in a good environment. He's got big man. Yeah, I like that. That's a good plan. He's treated as a superstar. There's no question he's the number one option. Orlando fans are just happy they have a former number one pick there who can score. He'd be fun. Sell a lot of jerseys. He could be the new T Mac, empty stack guy. Uh, like I just feel like that is the best scenario. And then I think Fournier is a much better fit for Tibbs and it gives them more shooting because they need shooting and they might lose Bielika this summer. And then Aaron Gordon with Tibbs, like you help, like you already have Taj there and you have Gorgie Jang just making a ridiculous amount of money for the next couple of years. But like, that's another big who can actually do a lot of good stuff. And I, I, I don't know. I feel like that works for both teams. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. That's a, that's okay. an excellent destruction. Well done. There you go. This is, I should be a GM. I think that's, you can, we can, maybe you and I can partner up and we can put LeBron on the perfect team, the best team that he's ever uh, been on. So we can change that narrative for him. We can solve the the LeBron problem. That's like a fascinating question. It's like, if you could, if you could actually construct it out current contracts, constructs, like build the perfect team around LeBron. Like that's, that's something that like, I I definitely think is more interesting than people give it credit for. Um, It's also like, because here's one of the fascinating things. I don't think we've ever seen it. I don't think we've ever seen Mm -hmm. a perfect team around LeBron. Um, versus, like, if you ask me, put the perfect team around Steph Curry, I cannot think of one better. You've already seen it. Yeah, there's there's not a better team. Like, Steph Curry is the, maybe the only player in the NBA in NBA history who hit his absolute prime at the exact same moment that the exact right team to be around him was hit. Like, yeah, perfect. Like that dude. So you're saying that there's not a great chance that uh, the three Hawks first round picks are going to turn into Golden State 2.0 because things like that don't happen very often in the NBA, and they also don't happen in the same draft. Not very often. No, not very often. <laughs> so I, I was pretty mad. Let's just go ahead and say it. Uh, the Luka Doncic stuff, it's its just one of those things. You just know he's going to be a future Hall of Famer in Dallas. He's going to be great. Him and Dennis Smith Jr. are going to work in Carlisle's two-point guard system. He's going to flourish. He's going to learn under Dirk for a year. He already has the blue Porsche. He wants to date Jennifer Aniston. Like He is the guy right now, and its he's going to be great. He's number 77. There's just no chance Luka Doncic is not a future 10-time All-Star and everything else. Um, Trey Young, not as confident about, and I'm, uh, I, I gotta ask, will the, do you think the Hawks are going to regret trading down in the NBA draft for Trey Young and not just taking Doncic and figuring it out? I honestly have to say on this one, I don't know. I wish, okay. um, the reason is because I got a Trey Young guy. Um, I think like he's like, there are issues for sure. I think there are issues with everybody in this draft. I said this on draft day, and I kind of believe it. I don't know that anybody in this draft is going to be the number one player on, uh, like, in, in, when they hit their prime. I don't know that they're going to be the best player on their team, or if they are, if that team is going to be over five. Okay, but when you say Doncic has the best shot of that, nah, yeah, 
Yes, I say Doncic has the best shot at that. He has the highest ceiling. I will agree. With you. Yeah. Um, well, if we know anything about the NBA draft, it's always don't uh, keep the highest ceiling guy in the lottery. Never do that. But the problem is, like, there are. It's like we're in a gradient shade where I don't feel confident about it. And the thing is, like, I love Doncic, but this is kind of how I started thinking about Doncic. Is like, what if he's super mono? Like super. Well, I think super mono in today's game is different. I just yeah. But here's the thing: even that guy is still a he's still an augmentary. Like yeah, I will go ahead and use the the phrase. He's a collaborative talent. Like he's a guy that you put in the right situation, and just like everything blooms because of his abilities. Like he yep. like he he's the he's the life bringer in that situation. Um, but I don't know that he's like. 40 15 10 like absolutely dropping both like i don't know i don't know about like that okay. and my thing is if trey young winds up just being like if trey young is just really awesome player that sells a ton of tickets that helps you like you make the playoffs and make the 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 second round and a conference finals once like that's still that that might be that might still earn him as like the best player out of the draft it's entirely mm-hmm. possible. I don't think it's likely. Like, do I think the Hawks made a smart move? Would I have done that? No. Like, if you're asking, me what that's I'm... the thing is like if they had just ta- if they had just, just had the number six pick, like if they had the number six pick and just took Trey Young there, yeah, or number five, whatever, nobody would be complaining. But you trade down. It's that you just yeah you traded down. Yeah. Like you had Doncic. Yeah. Like that's the problem is he traded down and he got a pick that's gonna suck next year. Like we talk about this. If I hear one more sports radio person just say you got a first round pick out of it, it's like well no the the Mavericks are not gonna be a top five lottery team. So that pick is gonna trans like next year like the pop the I, I don't i think the mavericks are going to spin this summer and like it would not surprise me if julius randall or demarcus cousins is their five or deandre jordan well and the, that team's winning like right, 40 games with rick carlin right, you're right that it could happen right it could in that case you're probably right but let's say new orleans is just like if they go new orleans goes to ad and ad's like no i want cousins and they're like okay we're keeping cousins done like we just gotta keep you happy no problem and then yeah let's say the lakers miss on LeBron and they only get Paul George. Well, they're up against it. Probably got to resign Julius Randle. Look, they just probably got to resign him. So they keep Randle. Okay. And so now you're down to DeAndre Jordan, who, like, let's just be honest here, really good player on a good team, not necessarily going to shape your franchise, not going to make you a huge jump in wins. Um, and let's just say that the Clippers are like, screw it. Like, we'd rather just keep you. And then, like, maybe I trade you later, but we'd rather keep you and we'll pay you the money. Okay. I'll stay. And then all of a sudden it's like, the like who's the Mavericks best player 19 year old Luka Doncic who's the Mavericks second best player 20 year old Dennis Smith Jr. who's the Mavericks third best player Harrison Barnes who's the Mavericks fourth best player 41 year old Dirk Nowitzki who's the Mavericks fifth best player Yogi Ferrell Yogi Ferrell like that's where we're that's where we're in trouble so I think that there's a possibility that pick is good but that doesn't change the fact that you're still the problem is just I think I get it from Schlenk's perspective that he like he was an asset accumulation mode. Just assets, mm-hmm. assets, assets. I just wind up feeling like if I'm a GM and I'm going, how could this go horribly wrong for me? <laughs> like, and what what could I do that would go horribly wrong? The easiest answer genuinely is, oh, I'm going to trade the guy that was the consensus number one pick for, for seven months. Yep. It's just it's not gonna end well i'm just not there and i'm gonna be pissed off about it for a long time so whatever um and i apologize for the way i'm gonna frame this question but i have to do it how high are you on denver right now um i think that, well 
I think compared to the consensus are probably too high. Um, because my whole thought is I'm just like, I saw how much better Millsap and Jokic got when they played together for a longer period of time. And mm-hmm. if Paul Millsap misses 22 games instead of 44, they make themselves like the third seed. Yeah. Um, their gap, their, their margin of, of error was literally three. And that's, yeah, people are going to forget when we look at the standings years from now, like, oh, how did they, that's not a good team they missed playoffs. Like three and eight and three and nine were like within three games of each other. Yeah. Like it was, it was a very, it was a very so hodgepodge. I, I tend to think that. that they're going to win. I'm in a place right now where I think that they win 50 plus. Okay. Now the Will Barton thing, could, could, if I, if Will Barton signs elsewhere and I have to really think about what their winning rotation is, I may wind up going back on that. Um, there's a lot of ways Chandler opted in right didn't he already do that this week yeah so there's a lot of ways this could go bad there's a lot of ways it could go bad like there's a very good possibility that the that the Nuggets are 10 game or are six games under 500 on December 15th and Michael Malone gets fired like that's a that is a oh wow he's in the hot seat mm, well let me put it this way he's without a contract yeah so he's in the last year of his deal and you almost never see lame ducks but this could could change they might send him to an extension this year uh, or this summer, but I have heard no indication that that's in motion or progressing towards it. And if so, um, then there's a good, like he's going to be under a lot of pressure and that's a guy that's got, that's emotionally charged who I think still is a good coach, but that's a tough mm-hmm. situation for him. If Jokic goes down early in the season and they take okay. out and like, they're just, they're just flummoxing. Then I don't want to think about that, man. I want them healthy. I want Jokic, Gary Harris, Jamal Murray. If they're healthy, all healthy. if they're healthy, they click and Jamal Murray makes a leap. They are going to be and they are going to be terrifying. They're going to win. They're going to win at least 45 games. They're going to make the playoffs. So like I'm high on Denver from that perspective, um, just from what I've seen of them and what I know of them. My thing with Denver is that they are a their their variance is always going to be really wide. They can yep. like I thought that their low end this year would be like 42, even if with everyone healthy. I thought mm-hmm. they would be between 42 and 47 games, and they wound up being within range, still missing. How much of that was Plumley and Jokic playing significant minutes together? You know, the the numbers for them are actually pretty good. Uh, they are. It's weird. Uh, it shouldn't work. That everyone hates it, but really, look, yeah. the honest the honest reality is that like you can put anybody except Emmanuel Mudiay next to Nikola Jokic. I don't mean to mean, oh. mean to, to Mudiay. It's just like I I went to the coaching staff last year because I was working on a piece on Mudiay and I uh, was talking to them about him and I was like, well, you know, I, I'm sure you know, like every player has a negative net rating when when Mudiay's on the floor. And they were like, oh, well, it's, I think he had the worst real plus minus for a while in the NBA. Yeah, and they were like, oh, the coaching staff even was like, oh, you mean except Jokic? I was like, no, even with Jokic, he's like, he isn't. They like Jokic is a negative. I was like, yeah, but they had so the coaches were even just like, how is that even possible? Yeah. That's uh, not great for Knicks fans who are hoping that he can uh, figure things out in uh, New York. Not great. Um, Fizdale's trying, though. He's, like, including him in all these, like, player outings and stuff. Like, I think they went and watched, like, a Celtics game together. I want to say he was with them um, for the playoff game against the Sixers. I want to say he was one of the people included. Um, so, yeah, that's that's great. Uh, to continue, and we're almost done. Um, are we in for Toronto fireworks this summer? Is Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan on this team next year? Go. No. Oh, I love it. Who do you think is more likely to go? Uh, DeRozan. Okay. okay. DeRozan gets traded before in training camp. Interesting. Okay. My uh, does LA or Philly get anyone this summer? Oh, wait, wait. Um, sorry, let me put my Brian Windhorst voice. Just for the aggregators out there, I'm not reporting <laughs> that. So don't be aggregating it. Just bear in mind, like, that's completely off the gate. So, sorry, what was your question? 
Uh, does Philly and or LA get anybody of the main three that we've talked about this summer? Yes. Okay. Well, Do all three go to at least two of those teams? Um, two of the three will go to one of those teams. Okay. Um, last question and then we'll go. Um, favorite NBA odd that you have seen or you're monitoring or something that you saw like plus whatever. And you're like, okay, I'm, I'm already interested in this. I'm going to follow this. This is something that I want to keep track of for the rest of this off season or going into next year. The one that I'm looking forward to most, honestly, like I get, I get really weird. So like, I want to know what Milwaukee's over under is going to be like, that's the one I'm really, I'm really the Mike Budenholzer jump. Yeah. So like if LeBron leaves and that's out of their division and then Mike, Mike Budenholzer's there and like, they have so much talent. Like Chris Milton's really good. And Eric Bledsoe's way better than what you got. Then the person he, well, I don't think Eric Bledsoe's going to be on that team next year, um, but uh... yeah, like, um, I, I just think that that team could be could be really good. I don't want to know what their number is. I'm very interested to see what their number is. I can't wait. What would you guess right now? Uh, I'm going to bet that their over-under is going to be something along the lines of like 49 and a half. Oh my God. That seems insane. Yes. Yeah, but not really. High, but like Mike Budenholzer, Giannis in his prime, good team around yeah. him. Like the, like the formula is just not hard to get to 47. And once you get to 47. That's true. Uh, and if LeBron leaves, the East is just like exactly. right for the division. Yeah. That's the thing is all those division teams start racking up more wins because LeBron leaves. Yeah, it's a good point. The inflated uh, Toronto number is what we can call it. Yes. Um, winning a lot of regular season games and not uh, believe it. Okay. But anyway, Matt Moore, I appreciate you taking the time. We can listen to you on the Spread the Floor podcast, one of my favorite NBA podcasts, and we can read you at theactionnetwork.com. Matt, uh, enjoy your mini break before LeBron uh, douses everything in flames this weekend. Thanks for having me on, man. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second and leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back in another episode very soon. Thanks, guys.